Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Ben Hogan Golf, Two Under, Taylor Made Golf, and Golf Pride. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the Tee. Thank you so much for being here tonight. It's a privilege to be with you and uh, and have this show as a part of your weekly golf content. Before we get started tonight, I want to give a shout-out to one of our newer sponsors, the Macklemore, which is a beautiful community resort and golf course, just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, on Lookout Mountain. And, folks, you've got to see this place to believe it. Go look it up online at themacklemore.com. Everything about what they have up there is beautiful. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. And our friend Kip Henley said on Twitter a while back, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. See why he says that by going online and checking out the course and the resort at themacklemore.com. All right, on to tonight. And my first guest is going to be our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Tonight, I'm going to get TP's thoughts on the PGA Championship that was a very exciting final round. We're going to talk about the performance we saw from Colin Morikawa. Plus, is there hope for players who aren't bombing in 330 off the tee on average? Because Colin Morikawa's average driving distance for the week was 290 yards. So we'll hear what TP thinks about that. I'll also get his thoughts on what we saw from Jordan Spieth, who quite frankly looked lost on Saturday, but came back and played well on Sunday. We'll also get a couple of playing lessons from TP along the way. He'll join me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from 1992 PGA Tour Rookie of the Year, and now one of the best broadcast analysts in the business, and that's Mark Carnival. I'll get Mark's perspective as well on what he saw at the PGA Championship. We'll look ahead to the playoffs that start next week. want to get who his favorites are. Who do we think is going to be holding the FedEx Cup uh, in his hands following the Tour Championship in a few weeks, and maybe a player or two that's currently outside the top 20 who he thinks might get hot and make a run. Really looking forward to catching up with Mark. He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from one of the most decorated teachers in the game, and that's Allison Kurt. If I listed out all of the accolades and achievements Allison has racked up so far, there wouldn't be time left to do the interview. I mean, she's one of only two women who has reached the master professional level. She's also a fantastic player. Earlier this year, she won the Southern California Women's Match Play Championship. And last year, not only did she compete against the men at the Southern California PGA Professional Championship, she made the cut and had the low round of the day on Saturday. Allison also has her doctorate in psychology, so Dr. Kurt and I are going to talk about the mental game and and how to have the confidence to pull off a shot like Colin Morikawa did on Sunday on number 16 when he drove the green, ultimately made eagle, and put himself in the driver's seat. We'll get a couple of playing lessons from her as well, so really looking forward to having Allison back on the show. She'll join me about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. 
Want to start out by saying hello and thank you to my friends Mitch and Matthew Lawrence. They've got a couple of great golf shows. Mitch's podcast is called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can stream online at GolfTripX.com. Also available over on Audioboom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. Mitch and his co-host Darren Bunch are going to take you around the U.S. and Canada and let you know about the great courses you can go stay and play at, plus some of the hidden gem courses that you might not be aware of. Go online and stream their great golf podcast over at GolfTripX.com. Matthew's show is called Backspin Golf. It's my regular Sunday morning, 8.03 a.m. Eastern Tea Time. It's fantastic, folks. Matthew's got a lot of great guests, including our friend Perry French at the top of the show every week, plus so many other great guests as well. You can stream his show online by going to WLXG.com or by downloading the WLXG app. Tune in. You're going to love the show. And, folks, this segment of this show is brought to you by TaylorMade and the TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X golf balls. Played by Ricky Fowler, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, and Jason Day. It's the hottest tour ball in golf. Now, you know those names, but thousands of other golfers have already made the switch to TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X. And now it's available in high-visibility yellow. Are you the next to make the switch? Check it out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com. For more information. All right, now back with me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patcher. You can visit him and improve your game at his indoor facility, which has all the latest gadgets and technology at his home down in Naples, Florida. TP is teaching this summer in a, what seems to be a continual loop from Carmel, Indiana to the east end of Long Island, back to Chicago, and then down to Indiana again. So if you're on one of the major interstates along that route and you see a white Chevy Silverado, wave Tom down and get him to pull over at the nearest rest stop. Tom can get out and help improve your game right there. But if you see that Silverado and Tom's asleep at the rest stop, let TP sleep. The guy needs some rest. You can download the V1 video app and send him videos of your golf swing and he can help respond to you and give you all kinds of great content about how you can get get your swing back on track. Or you can send him a question via his website, TomPatry.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter when you're on his website. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board. He's a two-time first-team All-American at Florida Southern, and he won the Division II National Championship back in 1981. He was inducted into their Sports Hall of Fame in 2004. He's got his own show now on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time over on Instagram Live with a lot of really great guests. And I'm um, very honored he is back again with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? Chrissy boy! <laughs> I love that. How are you, TP? I'm tired, pal. I'm a little tired and a little sleepy. No doubt. Okay, I got, I, I got 20 solid minutes to be here. Let's go at it. <laughs> so, for all of our listeners that want to catch up with you, it's kind of like a Where's Waldo? Where's TP? Where are you, TP? I am currently, my friend, in Carmel, Indiana. I am sitting in that beautiful Chevy Silverado, otherwise known as my home on wheels, at the Prairie View Golf Club. And just get finished with a full day of instruction, and I am starving. But go ahead. Let's talk. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I I want to start by getting your thoughts on the PGA Championship. Pretty exciting final round. What would you think? Wow. So I was driving from, um, where was I driving from? I was driving from Chicago Golf Club, which I had a, uh, by the way, Chris, had a blast. I spent two days there last week with a friend of mine just playing some golf. What a unbelievable track that is. As anybody out there knows who's golf history savvy, it's the 
it's one of the five founding causes of USGA. Uh, hosted the U.S. Women's Senior Open not too long ago. He's hosted uh, uh, a Walker Cup match. Uh, just a wonderful, wonderful golf course. And he's had a lot of fun. Anyway, driving back from there on Sunday back to Carmel to start my week and had serious XM on listening to the uh, PGA and got back here in time to turn on the TV for the last four or five holes. Wow. I mean, what a... What a log jam on that back nine coming down the stretch on Sunday, and then Colin Morikawa just kind of kind of breaks it wide open um, by doing a couple of incredible things. That the kid is just sensational. I mean, just a beautiful golf thing, and and so in control of himself at his age. Uh, I was really, really impressed with him. I mean, really impressed. So, and, and we've been talking about the young guns since they kind of sort of burst on the scene uh, about a year ago. Morikawa. You know, Matt Wolf, Victor Hovland, those guys have, have, have sort of taken the tour by storm. But, you know, talk about Morikawa and the moxie that that kid had to step up on the 16th tee, pull driver when he had a stroke lead and put that ball on the, you know, drive the green, make the eagle and all that sort of stuff. Talk about the nerve that that took. You know, really interesting that, you know, I, I read a piece by him that he, he had decided during the practice rounds he wasn't going to hit driver on that hole and didn't the first three rounds, and then made the decision on the fly on Sunday, you know what, it's time. Let me just step on the gas here and see what I can do. And obviously come up with that golf swing at that time, hit that golf ball, and there's seven or eight feet in the hole, and then just knock that putt in dead center. I mean, I don't think people really understand, you know, I mean, we've all played in our club championship or, you know, in our member guest or whatever we've played in and how nervous we are on the first tee as, as recreational players, but to stand up in a major and pipe that thing, you know, you know, 290 or 305 at orders right down the pipe and roll it up on the green and hold the putt like that. I mean, that's, that's not a, that's not a young 20 year old. That's a, that's a veteran making a golf swing. You know, we can put that in the category of Moxie of Arnold Palmer or Sevi Ballesteros, whoever you want to, you know, whoever you want to draw on, but that was really, Really impressive. I, I have another word I'd use, but I'm not going to use it on the air. But it was, it was, good time. <laughs> it was good time. So we've seen him win now, right, a couple of times here recently. Won at Jack's Place a few weeks back, and now he gets his first major. And, I, you know, and, and people, I'm sure, are going to be in a rush to talk about, you know, he's the greatest this or, the you know, the next that and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, TP, when you look ahead, because we still have in, in this crazy year, we still have two majors to go and the, and the playoffs start, you know, next week and all that sort of stuff. But in your mind, is, is this kid suddenly the guy to beat? You know, we got, we got to be careful because obviously, you know, we, we, we did that with a guy named Eddie Pierce years ago. We did that with a guy named Hal Sutton. Uh, we've done that with a lot of people through the years, you know, um, and if you got, if you, if you rolled the clock back just a couple of years ago after Justin Rose won at Marion, you would have thought that you know, the gate's wide open, here comes the floodwaters. Um, it's a funny game, man. It's it's a deep field out there. You know, unlike when I played over the competitive golf back in, you know, in, in, in the 80s, uh, and I'm sure more kind of can speak to this when you have them on later on, I mean, the, the, the field is so deep now and so talented. You know, does Matt Wolf get on a roll next? Does Sanjay Aime get on a roll next? Does does Havlin get on a roll next? Does, does, does Justin Rose find his form again? We can go down the list and go on forever. Um, this kid is certainly very talented and is certainly, he's won three events now in, in a little under, under a year and a half. So clearly the indicator is that he's got a lot of game. 
but I, I always caution people to just, you know, let, let's just let this play out a little bit. Uh, he's got a beautiful golfing mechanically. He's obviously very, very mature and very, very well-spoken, very bright young man. But, you know, let's, let's just, uh, let's just take this one step at a time. Now, sort of in that same vein, TP, if you were his coach, how do you keep him grounded and not sort of getting ahead of himself thinking about, you know, whether it's the, the rest of this season or what could be next or where I could be and all that sort of stuff? How do you keep him sort of centered and focused on what, on the task at hand, the tournament at hand? Now, obviously, Chris, I, I don't know this kid and I don't know his coach and I just, just what I've read and watched just like everybody else. But I think if, you know, we're looking at him from a distance as a golf professional, as a teacher, as a coach, uh, all my indicators are is you don't have to keep him grounded. He seems very, very grounded. He, you know, anytime I've heard him speak or do an interview, uh, he, he is certainly very, very humble and, and very appreciative of everything that's happened to him. So I think if you look at him and somebody said, what's his greatest attribute? I think it's him. I think it's the person. He, he seems like he's very centered and very grounded. Uh, but I, I would as his coach, and I think Rick's done a great job with him. I would certainly, you know, just, 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 you know, let's pump the brakes a couple of times and let's take this one step at a time. We've done some great things. We've got some great experiences to draw from now. Let's just, let's just stay on, on the, on the path and just be, be real cool about this. And Tom, one of the impressive things about his performance was his average driving distance for the week. And I'm going to use the word only, which just sounds kind of crazy, but was only 290 yards. When you compare that to, Someone like Bryson DeChambeau, who had a share of the lead at one point on the back nine, his driving distance was 318 yards. And I know you struggle with math. That's that's 28-yard difference between the two of those guys. So is there hope for the guys that, that aren't the bombers that are averaging it, like, you know, DeChambeau and, and Rory? Does this kind of give the rest of the field a little bit of hope? Well, if, if you, if you uh, had that magic genie lantern, that you have, Chris, and you're so talented with. And you said to me, do I want Bryson's game or do I want Collins' game? I'm going to take Collins' game. How's that? I, uh, mm. I'm i not a, a big Bryson DeChambeau fan. <laughs> I, I think that, um, I, I think that, you know, if you look at that wedge game and the shot that hits around the putting surfaces and the bunker play and the pitching, you know, I, I think the one race, I think the one race club thing has a lot of merit except, except in wedges. I think until he makes a change in his wedge game and in his wedge equipment, I think the shots that he has to hit are really, you know, to take advantage of driving the ball down there, you know, anywhere from 300 to 340, 50 yards at times and have nothing left to a green and, and not be able to be a little more dominant than he is, is, is a question mark. So I, I think that if you gave, let me put it perfect, if you gave Bryson DeChambeau Colin Morikawa's wedge game, I think it's a game set match. You know, I think it's over. But I think with those fat grips and the, and and the, and a, a pitching wedge at the length of a six iron or a gap wedge at the length of a six iron or a sand wedge at the length of a six iron, it's really tough, man. Really tough. I don't think you can capitalize on what you've been able to do off the tee. And I think he's already proven that. Uh, he really struggles with those shots. So I think he's got to revisit that part of his game. So to, to that NTP, and I think we talked about this either the last time you were on the show or, or maybe the time before that, but, you know, Bryson at times, like we've seen him hit a 428-yard drive, you know, where he's only 
a lob wedge away from, you know, the green, maybe, you know, 30, 40 yards off the green. Sometimes that feels like maybe you're almost in no man's land, right? You got to hit that little soft shot to your point with a six iron, you know, length shaft. That seems like maybe that's a mistake because I, I, I believe you told me if I have that shot, I've made a mistake. So is that where he's at? Yeah, I think he is, Chris. I think it's a great point. I think that, you know, not only the length of the shaft with those short shots, but it's well documented how thick those grips are and how big those grips are in your hands. I, I heard a, I heard a piece earlier today coming to work this morning. Justin Leonard was on uh, Sirius at PGA Tour Radio, and he was talking to the exact same point about the, the combination of the length of the golf club with wedges and the fat grips that, you know, and, and by the way, Justin Leonard had a hell of a short game. He said he, he said he could not possibly hit a shot inside 100 yards of one of those clubs with any confidence. So that's a pretty big statement by a pretty fine short game player. And I think you've heard somebody in the past say to you, short game, short game, short game. <laughs> well, Bry- well, Bryson, I'm going to give you an A for the long game, and I'm going to give you a D minus for the short game. So, dude, wake up and make a change. So on the on the flip side, if you want to get your thoughts on what we saw from Jordan Spieth, because as I watched him over the weekend, Saturday he looked like a golfer who was completely lost. He shot 76, and they went to the went to the practice tee, and just seemed like a kid who who was just just lost his game. Now he came back to his credit on Sunday, shot 67, had a, had a pretty good final round. But I want to get your thoughts on what you're seeing from him. You know, Chris, I. I I gotta tell you I was I was at Augusta in 215 when he won his his, his first major the Masters and and I followed him uh, Denise and I walked walked with that group exclusively on Saturday and Sunday and you know it was it was kind of magic watching this kid play and control his golf ball and and certainly has incredible short game skills again great wedge player at that point in time part of the ball like you know like Jesus and just unbelievable and. It doesn't even look like a shadow of the same player right now. Um, not even a shadow. I mean, he looks really, really lost out there, um, to, to put it mildly. Uh, and, and I'm not here to criticize coaches or players, but, but, you know, that's what we're kind of talking about. I mean, I think, I think he needs to push, push the restart button really quickly. I mean, I think he needs to kind of step back and look at what's been going on. And, and obviously whatever he's working on is not working. And, and I think part of it right now, and, you know, body. I'm a big guy looking at body language and looking at attitude. There's a lot of whining going on. There's a lot of, you know, oh, poor me going on. And you know what? You you have that kind of attitude on the PGA Tour, and you're going to get run over like a freight train from behind. You know, there's nobody really else really, you know, going to put their arm around your shoulder and tell you everything's okay because it's not okay. So I think the attitude has to change. I think the body language has to get, you know, beefed up a little bit. And I think He's got to really look hard at what he's doing mechanically and, and realize that's what it's just not working right now. It's, and he's got, he's got to make a change. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, anybody gets divorced from anybody, but it's not working. And, and it's not working to this degree when you have that much talent. And clearly this kid has a ton of talent. It, it's time to reexamine what the game plan is. How do you restart though, TP? I mean, he and, he and Cameron McCormick have been working together since he was a kid. Um, when you hit the reset button, what what does that mean? If you if you were coming into that situation, how do you help him get back on track? Well, I I, I think I, you know, and I'm not here to discuss this because I don't want to 
I don't want to get blasted like I will, but I think there are a couple major mechanical issues there that are not really hard to fix. Chris, I really don't think that. This, I've looked at a lot of film with him, and I, and I really think that there's a couple of things I don't. There's a couple of things that are glaring to me that are not really uh, what I would call major undertakings, but they are really hurting him. I think, and I think if they're addressed by somebody with maybe a little different set of eyes and they're pointed out to him, I think the kid with his athletic ability and his golf skill could make these changes and make these fixes relatively quickly. Um, and I don't understand, looking at this film, why these few things that are really, to me, and I'm, maybe I'm speaking out of school here, very obvious why they haven't been addressed. And, you know, I watched another player, and I'm not going to name his names, go through this in the, in the late 90s with a coach who was a good friend of mine, and the player was very, very um, stubborn, is a good word, and he didn't want to hear it, and the coach was being paid a lot of money, so he kind of kept his mouth shut to keep his paycheck coming, and you know what? I got to tell you, at some point, you got to pull the ripcord and say, you know what? You got to open your mouth. You got to open your mouth, and maybe the guy goes away, but you got to open your mouth, and I don't think I don't think that they're having a very frank discussion that they need to have right now. So, Tom, I, I guess when when I think about it, right? I mean, it's it's been you know three years since we've seen yeah. Jordan yeah. win. I mean, at, is there a point in time when you start to fall out of you know you're you're no longer a part of the scene, and now the confidence is is shot, and now you you know it, it sort of spirals out of control. At what point do you think that ripcord has to be pulled? We're at that point, Chris. We're I think I think you've seen this kid really really suffer and really go through some very frustrating periods that have almost been continual now for at least the last eighteen to twenty four months. I, I I would have pulled that cord a long time ago. If I'm, if I'm on a parachute, I'm getting pretty close to the ground right now. <laughs> yeah. I got I to pull the I got to pull the cord because this is this is certainly spiraling right now. I mean, this kid is really talented. I mean, really talented. And and I, again, I I don't want to get into it really mechanically, but I think there are some really simple things that can change there to put him right back on the tracks again. So Tom, switching gears, I want to I want to get a playing lesson from you. And 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 speaking of you know golf swings and getting things right. I want to talk about how, how we can tell in our takeaway and our position of our hands at the top of our swing. How can we tell if we are where we need to be so that we are not either pull hooking it or we're slicing it and that sort of thing? Is there something we can do in our takeaway and checking in our, if we did a slow motion of our backswing and see ourselves at the top where we should be so we know we're in the right spot so we're not going to be spraying the ball all over the golf course. Yeah, I love the, I love the question, Chris. I think it's, you know, one of my favorite features when the teacher isn't around is something that you probably have in your home right now is a, is a thing called a full-length mirror. you have one of those? I do. Good. So you've you're, you're got, you got the coach when the coach isn't there. So there's two really key checkpoints that I work on a lot with my guys. You know, and let's and let's let's just say this because before I give you the two quick key checkpoints, we've seen some pretty funny backswings produce some pretty good results. And we can think about Jim Furyk, we can think about Raymond Floyd, we can think about Chichi Rodriguez, we can think about Jack Nicholas's flying right elbow, we can talk about Bobby Jones crossing the line, we can go on and on and backswings that weren't 
quote unquote conventional. But let's understand, those people are more talented than your average bear, so we're going to give them a pass. But for the average guy, the two things I look at, or gal, I look at all the time, is when the club shaft gets parallel to the ground, okay? We call that position two, position one being addressed, P2 being once it gets parallel to the ground. If you were standing with the full-length mirror behind you in the down-the-line view, I would want to see the club right in your hand line. It was parallel to your hands and parallel to the target line on the ground, checkpoint number one. And at the top of your backswing, I'd like your left arm to bisect your right shoulder, so your left arm is across your chest, bisecting your right shoulder, and the club shaft be pretty much right down the target line again. So the club shaft at P2 and the club shaft at top of your backswing, which is P4, would be in fact parallel to the target line. If you can do those two things and hit those two marks, I think you got a hell of a chance. Tom, before I let you go, I want to talk about, um, as I mentioned in your intro, if we, if we can't corral Tom Patry on the on the interstate wherever you may be traveling, we do have the opportunity to send you a video of our golf swing utilizing the V1 app. Talk about how we how anybody anywhere can reach you to get some pointers using that application. You know, Chris, if you had told me 20 years ago that I'd have 150 students that I've never met in my life and probably will never meet, whether they're in San Diego, whether they're in Tokyo, Japan, London, England, Marbella, Spain, and we can go on and on, they're sending me video and and paying using Venmo or PayPal and sending me video and taking you know, regular golf lessons from me online with a with an app you know an app on a phone or an iPad. I would have thought we were talking about the Jetsons or something like that, you know. Um, but that's what's going on. And all my college players, all my high school players, junior players, and all my better amateurs, and as well as my recreational players now, have that app on their phone, the V1 app. Uh, it's, it's, you know, you get it right at the app store, and you can go on there and just watch the, follow the prompts. It's really, really easy to use, yet extremely. So I can send you back a complete analysis with full audio, full video, graphics, drop-in drills. I've filmed over 450 drills in a TV studio that I have loaded, so there's not much I can't cover. I can do side-by-side comparisons. I can do overlays. The application is really, really powerful. And it's just like, Chris, you and I are standing together on a lesson tee discussing your golf swing. Um, and now I've even gone into situations where for an upcharge, people can then book two Skype situations a month where they can get on Skype with me or, you know, or FaceTime with me for an hour at a time, and we can discuss what we've done that month, you know, face-to-face live, reviewing the videos and doing some consultation that way, too. So it's it's really cool, and it's it's really powerful, and it's really easy to use. And uh, and if you're not doing it, you're really missing the boat, because it's, it's, it's got to be part of your toolbox. And, Tom, you've also built a heck of a studio in your winter home down in Naples, Florida. Talk about that and how people can arrange a lesson uh, with you uh, when it starts to get a little cooler outside and you start heading back home. Yeah, I mean, Chris, it's really been, you know, it all came about by accident because of COVID. You know, I mean, when COVID hit and and a lot of places were shut down and people were really apprehensive, uh, I created a situation in, in at my home where it's, you know, very safe social distancing. I can sit at the back of the studio, you know, a good 12 or 14 feet from you and I got V1 video hooked up in there. I got a big flat screen TV. I've got body track force plates on the ground and I've got crack hands set up and it all is projected onto a huge flat screen behind me. And we can do things right with our graphics and our numbers and our film 
right there, uh, and you never move off, off, off the platform that you're hitting from, um, it's, it's really wonderful. And I, and I, I was not really sure people would embrace it, but everybody that's been in the studio and seen the technology and worked with the technology has really loved it. And I never pictured myself ever being in that environment as a teacher, but I really enjoyed it myself. I mean, the technology is fantastic. The feedback is, is crystal clear. And you can really leave there having taken a really good lesson and understanding exactly what you need to do in your golf swing. Tom, you're also an ambassador now for the Dormy Network. For those folks who haven't tuned in over the last few weeks and heard you talk about that, let him know what that's all about. Yeah, the Dormy Network, Chris, is a collection of six high-end destination clubs that you can join as a network. You can join for one price and be a member in six places. And, you know, if you want to play in these next six golf vacations, you can't go any, do any better than these six places. Um, they're fantastic. Hidden Creek in New Jersey. Uh, um, uh, Ballyhack in, in Virginia, uh, the Dormy Club in Pinehurst, North Carolina, which is going through a beautiful facelift right now, uh, Arbolins out in Nebraska, Briggs Ranch is in San Antonio, and then Victoria National in Evansville, Indiana, which is the home of the Corn Ferry Finals. I mean, these six places are really, really high-end, high-end food and beverage, high-end service. Within a year, they're all going to have places to stay on property as destinations. It's really cool. And as an ambassador, uh, I can take you to any of those any of those places and work with you and give you a preview of what you want to see and, and make you, let you make a decision about, you know, is this is this something I want to be a part of? It is really good. I'm actually heading from Carmel to back to Hidden Creek next week. Uh, I'm already sold out there next week. And I'm back there in September with a couple, I think, a couple of dates still open there. Um so if anybody's listening wants to check out Hidden Creek, which is a core Crenshaw golf course, which is fantastic, um, it's really worth looking into. And, Tom, one more before I let you go, but you've got uh, your own show now, Thursday nights, 8 o'clock, over on Instagram Live. Let our yeah, listeners know about that and who you've got I wanna, coming up. I, I, I want to talk to you. I, I had a guy on recently who was up in North Georgia in the mountains somewhere, and he was, he was supposed to be one of my guests. <laughs> and, and, and his name was Chris Mascaro. And, and, you know, I've always made sure when I was on his show that I was someplace where the connection was good and it could get to me. Here we go. This guy, Mascaro, this guy, Mascaro, came on my show and all of a sudden, you know, he's crackling and, and, and breaking up and he, he, I lose him and he's back and then he's gone and all of a sudden the screen goes blank and it was, it was unbelievable. I just gotta, I guess I gotta pick my guests more carefully. But yeah. Well, I, I think I'm you sure gotta find a better platform. That's that's what I got to say. I saw some struggles last week on Thursday, so uh, easy there, TP. Last week it was it was called it was called social media incompetence. That's a different situation. <laughs> so and, that, and let's not and let's not hang let's not hang Coach J right after at the at the at the lunch in that one. But anyway, on Thursday <laughs> nights at eight o'clock, and we're gonna have you we're gonna give you a second chance, Chris. We're gonna we're gonna be fair to you. We're gonna give you a second chance. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, I know. I'm, 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 I love you, pal. You know that. Thursday night, eight o'clock, TP Golf Instagram Live. Uh, we've had Jimmy Roberts from NBC Sports on Damon Hack from the Golf Channel, Coach Jay Wright of Villanova Basketball. We got Dave Moore, the president and CEO of Titleist Golf Home. We got Billy Harmon this week, the great Billy Harmon this week on Thursday night. Uh, so we got some cool people coming up and it's, uh, it's been really, really well received. And, uh, I promise. I want to have Christmas Carroll back on. He's a handsome lad. We want to get him on screen. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the second chance, TP. You're all hurt, my friend. 
I know I am. I'm just slow to the Eskimos, my man. Slow to the Eskimos. <laughs> All right, TP, take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Hey, Chris, say hi to Allison for me and certainly Mark, too. They're two wonderful guests tonight, and you're the very best in the world. Thanks, pal. I appreciate you, my friend. That's a great Tom Patrick, folks. TomPatrick.com is the website, P-A-T-R-I. So TomPatrick.com is his website. You can follow him on Instagram and on Twitter at TomPatrick. You know how much I love TP, and he's fantastic, and the lessons are great, and the insights are even better. So uh, Tom, is, as you guys know, joins me every other week, so I look forward to catching up with uh, TP two weeks from tonight. All right, before I get to my next guest, Mark Carnival, I want to give a shout-out to our friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. When Ben Hogan founded his company in 1953, his mission was to make the finest golf equipment in the world, and that remains their mission today. They forge every club they make to provide the feel and feedback investment clubs simply can't provide. And their craftsmen, they micromanufacture each club to your exacting specifications in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. You'll only find Ben Hogan Golf Equipment at BenHoganGolf.com. Visit them online today to learn about their great products and their great prices. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret that pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and release the secret that pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet. The winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence. Grip Golf Pride. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with me here on Next on the Tee is Mark Carnival. Let me remind you about Mark's background. He's from Annapolis, Maryland, played his college golf at James Madison University, where he was a four-year letterman and a two-time MVP. While he was there, Mark won the 1979 Governor's Classic and the 1982 James Madison University Invitational. Graduated with his degree in marketing and a minor in economics. In 1999, he was inducted into the JMU Athletics Hall of Fame. Turned pro in 1983. He won four times out on tour at the 1984 Virginia Open, 1990 Utah Open, 1992 Chattanooga Classic, and the 1997 Nike Inland Classic. Mark was named the PGA Tours Rookie of the Year in 1992, finished tied for 25th at the 98 U.S. Open at the Olympic Club in San Francisco. You can hear Mark now out on Sirius XM's PGA Tour radio and PGA Tour live shows. He's easily one of the all-time great golf analysts and on-course broadcasters, and I'm very honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Mark, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, how you doing? I'm not going to throw you under the bus like Tom did, so it's all good. <laughs> I appreciate you, Mark. I'm doing great, Chris. Glad to be with you. Mark, uh, you know, I, I was kind of curious. Was being back in San Francisco for a major this past weekend, did it bring back memories of that U.S. Open you played in at the Olympic Club? Oh, sure. It did. Uh, it's always, uh, you know, it's, it's great golf in the San Francisco area, and uh, I've not only been fortunate enough to play the Olympic Club, but I've been fortunate enough to play Harding Park, San, uh, San Francisco Golf Club, Lake Merced, and 
uh, a number of other places in the area. So no, it's, it's always great. Uh, you know, that's a long time ago though. <laughs> no, Chris, uh, it's good <laughs> memories. There's some bad memories about it, but, uh, no, it's, it's great. Uh, it's always great to be able to, to call golf and, and talk about an area that, that you have fond memories of. So no, it's, I don't hold any hard feelings about it. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just going to say, I hope you don't take anything like you had bad memories of, of the, that U.S. Open in 98. I mean, for crying out loud, you were a stroke off the lead after the first round. You're right in the mix after the second and the third rounds. I mean, I think there's a lot of positive to take from that. And, you know, and it's, in, it's interesting that you sort of say that, Mark, because when I talk to, you know, other guys that have played on the tour and even on the football side on our, on our show Thursday night tailgate, when I talked to a lot of the former players, there, there are bad games or, or, you know, a bad stretch and, and, and they seem to remember those things more than they give themselves credit for the good things that they did. And that, I always find that interesting that you, you hold on to the bad, but you, but you, you, you discard the good. It, that is, that, that, that's a good, a good point. Um, I don't know why that is. And, and I, again, I had a great time there. I think that stands out the last round where I, I didn't, I didn't finish off too well and there was a lot that could have come as a result of a good finish there. But, you know, in retrospect, uh, you know, I was very fortunate to play this game and I, I say that it's a game and we, I played it for a living and not many people get to, to, uh, be able to pursue their passions as a means for a living. Uh, and I was very fortunate, but I'm a lot older now, Chris. So I'm a lot more, I'm a lot more easy. I think I'm easier on myself. And easier on the on the path that I took as well. Mark, I want to get your thoughts on on this past weekend's PGA Championship and uh, what an exciting Sunday it was. Get, why don't you get your thoughts? What did you think about what you saw? Uh, it, w- it was unbelievable, Chris. Uh, you know, even all week, uh, you know, watching there and seeing all the names of the players that we've become so accustomed to see, uh, you know, successful. Be right there as we not only through Thursday, but Friday and Saturday and coarsely Sunday with so many great stories and a lot of opportunity for a lot of players. Uh, I mean, Hardy Park, I think is really a really good golf course and it tests you. And I was probably no more pleased, uh, in the sense that Colin Morikawa, who obviously went on to win, but in this age of you know, bomb and gouge and, and everybody hits a driver and they don't care if they hit a wedge. That a young man that led the, the, the tournament in driving accuracy went on to win because I still to this day, despite the focus on length, if you put the ball in play, I, I, you're going to give yourself more chances to win than the guy that, that puts it in the rough. Now, I mean, there may be stats that say that contradict that, but at the end of the day, if you can do that, like Colin Morikawa did, I think you're going to win more often than not. Uh, I think it was exciting. I think, you know, there's a lot of players that are probably disappointed, but at the end of the day, you know, even, even Dustin Johnson, who held the lead going into the final round, uh, you know, he didn't play great, but he didn't, he didn't really throw it away. Uh, I think Colin Morikawa actually went out and won that golf tournament. He said to the fact that, uh, you know, he said to his caddy, he said, you know, it's time to step up. You know, let's, let's take a chance here. He took the chance and he won. And I've, I've always believed I've, and I have a, a phrase that was, was said to me by, uh, someone a long time ago that I use and a lot of my colleagues use it. 
you have to risk losing in order to win. And Colin Marikawa taking that chance on 16 with the driver, I think, risked possibly losing. And ultimately, he went on to win. And uh, that had to be a great feeling for that young man. He's such a, a good, well-spoken, well-rounded, uh, very together you know, individual at age 23, which sometimes I think we lose sight of. But uh, this young man knows what he wants, knows what he wants to do. And wow, 23 years old, a major championship, that's got to be pretty special. And talk about that, Mark. I mean, and then TP and I were talking about this in the last segment. I mean, it's a lot of moxie for a kid to, you know, and the, the three previous rounds, he, he didn't hit driver on 16. And mm-hmm. here he is. He's got a one-stroke lead with three holes to play. And he pulls out a driver and obviously hits the drive of his life. But that's a lot of moxie for, like you just said, a 23-year-old kid who's barely been out on the tour for a year now. And he steps up and he, you know, rips that drive. And obviously the rest is history. But that is, to me, that's a lot of moxie for that, for a 23-year-old. I, I would agree. But I think it's also confidence. It's like, okay, I've got an opportunity here. I'm going to go for it. And, you know, probably more often than not, you don't pull off the shot. But if you do, you know, you know, what, what, what did he have to lose by trying to do that? Uh, I think that again, I, I go back to that statement. You have to risk losing in order to win. And I think that's what he did. And he believed in the shot. It was comfortable. Uh, the numbers worked out. Uh, you know, I think I, there was a conversation like, and I, I heard a kind of like he and his caddy and, you know, he just told his caddy, I, I like this. This is what I want to do. And he went with it and he committed to it. And look, I mean, he could have not pulled off the shot, but he did. And look where it took him. And obviously that certainly helped him, uh, you know, get that win. But you got to like that. I mean, I think a lot of times when, when people follow this game and follow golfers, you know, it looks like, at least in my opinion, from the broadcast side and from when I played, you know, the players like don't look like they're enjoying it. They look like they're just out there and they're they're going through the motions. And you know, if they win, great. If they don't, fine. It's it's about finishing and FedEx Cup points and money, whatever. This young man wanted to win a title, and he went out and did that. And I think that's uh, that may be more impressive than anything. And Mark, going back to a point you you mentioned a moment ago, and Tom and I also talked about this as well, but um, you know, Colin averaged, you know, 290 yards, you know, for the weekend or for the week, you know, the four rounds off the tee, you know, Bryson, you know, about 318. So <laughs> does this sort of give the guys that aren't the bombers and maybe it's just in majors? I don't know. I mean, I want to get your, your insights on it, but does this sort of open it back up to, because I think the tour had sort of become like you mentioned a moment ago, the bomb and gouge, right? It's, it's Phil hitting bombs. It's, it's, uh, um, you know, all those guys trying to get it out there just as far as they possibly can. And if it's in the rough, no big deal because I'm going to have a short iron into the green. And it sort of felt like there was sort of a separation on tour. It was the bombers and the bombers not. Does this sort of bring the rest of the field back in? Well, I, I, you know, and, and this is where I think players get caught up in something that, look, I mean, there are players that are naturally long. I mean, Dustin Johnson, Naturally long. Brooks Kepka, naturally long. And a lot of these guys, you know, uh, you could, Bryson DeChambeau, I mean, that's, that's a whole other subject we could spend two hours on, uh, Chris, but 
I, you know, you give the guy, you got to give the guy credit. I mean, he's set out to do something. He's got six wins on the PGA Tour. You can't, you can't argue with success. But I think at the end of the day, with, with, with the information, with, with all the data, if you hit the ball on the fairway and you're, you know, whatever, I mean, say you're at, like, you're 290 and the big guy hits it 310, but he can't find the fairway. I would guarantee the percentage of you getting the ball closer to the hole from the fairway is a lot higher than that guy playing from 20 yards further from the rough. Now, they may hit the, the shot every now and then, but when you look at it, you, the ball is sitting there in front of, you've got the rough, you can put, you can control the spin, you can control the movement of the ball a lot better. I've always believed that. While length is great, if you are straight and long, I mean, that's, I mean, you, you can forget about it. I mean, that, that's, that's such an advantage. But I believe, I still believe, unless you're just, you know, really short, which most of these players are not these days, if you put the ball in fairway, I would take the guy that puts in the fairway more often than not to win golf tournaments. And that's, I would focus on it. I mean, if I'm a guy that is normally a straight player, yeah, you may try to get some distance, but at the same time, you can't get it enamored with the distance because at the end of the day, I think you're going to be able to control the golf ball much better from the fairway than you would ever think of in the rough. And Mark, does does this maybe change? Let me take a step back. Jordan Spieth looks lost to me. He looks oh. lost, he looked lost to me on on Saturday. And, and from the pictures I saw of him after his round over on the practice tee, he just seemed like a guy that was completely lost. Now he came back and shot 67 on Sunday, which is great. But does this maybe help him? Because I think he's, and again, this is just my opinion, but when I look at him, I look at him as a guy who is desperately seeking 10 more yards or 15 more yards, yeah. and he can't keep his driver in the fairway. And now he's, you know, his whole game is lost. Does, does this have maybe change his mindset a little bit? Like, look, 290, 295 is great. And if I can keep it in the fairway with my short game, I should be able to win. I, I would hope so. Um, I mean, you know, the, Jordan is such a nice young man and he's smart and he's probably, he, he's not as gifted as some of these players, but he's gifted more with the mental side of the game. And, and I never understood this. I mean, I remember when even, even in 2015, when he was, you know, winning majors and winning these tournaments, people say, well, he's not long enough to be number one. You know, I, I would have, I would have told him, forget about that. Just play your game. And unfortunately, he's got kind of in the trap that some of these players, like a Luke Donald, and and uh, there's some other, there's a couple other guys that have tried to focus on distance. I, I I have the utmost respect for Jordan Spieth, and you know, as a young man, as as a as a professional, and I know that he and uh, Cameron McCormick have had this relationship for a long time. But Jordan Spieth needs some new eyes. I mean, that, and that's my opinion. Um, uh, I think he just, you know, like, like you said, I would just tell him, Jordan, just play because he plays the game maybe better than anybody. Uh, you know, he's got the short game. He, there's no situation. He can't figure out how to, how to resolve, you know, with his game. And, and he has gotten to a point where, as you said, and I would agree, he looks lost out there. And it's, it's sad because 
I have no doubt he can still be competitive and win, and he can win a lot. You know, is he going to win as much as uh, Dustin Johnson or some of the others? Probably not, but he can still win. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's kind of what drives us. But uh, I, 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 that's something that, that in, in a lot of ways bothers me because, you know, you make – he got to the PJ Tour playing a particular way, and that's the way. And he's tried to change it. Now we all try to get better, no doubt. But he's trained, he changed basically his technique, his philosophy on how to play the game. And obviously it's hurt him. Mark, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to get your thoughts on the lack of fans. Has the lack of fans had an impact on some of the outcomes of these tournaments? We're not hearing the roars and the fans go crazy and, and that sort of thing, which I think on some level lowers the pressure on some of the guys. Do you think it's having an impact and making it maybe just a little bit easier on the guys trying to win? I, oh, I think it, it absolutely has had an impact. I mean, if you go back and to the to the Workday uh, Charity Open, when Justin Thomas makes that 50-footer uh, you know, on the first play, the first playoff hole. I believe that's correct. Right. Okay. They, those fans have been screaming for, I don't know how long. Now, I would say the likelihood of Colin making that putt might have been pretty, pretty difficult. That, that would have been a challenge. Um, I think that without question, this major championship we just had. I mean, does that mean Colin Morikawa wouldn't won? No, I, I can't sit there and say that, nor would that be fair to Colin. To say that, but I think fans out there could have had an impact. I think, without question, and, and in my opinion, I think it's affecting Rory McIlroy. I think it's affecting Tiger Woods. Uh, I don't think it affects Brooks Kepka. I'm not sure. Don't believe it affects Dustin Johnson, but I do. I truly believe that it has had a bearing on Tiger and, and Rory because I think those are two of the players. That feed off the crowd. I know, I, you know, I think in a lot of ways it's, it's helped other players with Tiger because the crowds were so big around Tiger that it affected people he was playing with. But I think Tiger also, you know, thrived off that excitement from the crowd. I mean, you have players walking from a green to a tee and having been there and, you know, they're yelling your name and they're, they want you to slap their hand. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't know if it would have had an effect on Colin Morikawa, but I think it had to. It could have. Uh, but again, I'm not. I don't want to take that away from him because, again, everybody was playing on an even, even field. So right. you can't say it. It didn't help him or it didn't hurt him. He went out and won the golf tournament. But I do think it is different for some of these players. And you take a Rory McIlroy who didn't go to college, and and when you look at Colin Morikawa and 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 Matthew Wolf, I mean, they're not very far removed from college where they're playing events where there are not that many fans out there. So that was not that big a deal. I don't think it was that big a deal. Where Rory, who never went to college, jumps right in the right in the, the boiling pot and the fans are screaming and everything, he's never played in front of very few fans, except you go back probably 10, 15 years when he was playing amateur golf. So it, it's, without question, I think it has a bearing should it have a bearing on the on the quality of golf? No, but I think it can have a bearing 
on the whole sort of atmosphere of golf. I think we've had great golf. I think we've had great results. We've had great champions. And, uh, you know, a Ford golf is fortunate to have been able to do this, but we'll never know, Chris. I mean, it's at least right now, we'll never know if, how much it, it has had or not had an effect on who wins and who doesn't. Mark, just a couple more before I let you go. And you mentioned Tiger and, and Mark, it, you know, Tiger obviously was, was never a factor in, in the, in the tournament. Um, but still gets headlines. You go on ESPN.com, you go, you look around and, and, uh, you know, ESPN is posting videos of every good shot he hits. And at times it feels like whether it's sports media or just the, the game in general is very tiger centric. Even when he's not, the, there's still yeah. a story about tiger. Is, is the game, is the media too focused on tiger instead of, we, like you mentioned, we got so many great young players that have just, you know, kind of burst onto the scene, yet it feels like at times we can't let go of Tiger. Well, I, I still believe Tiger moves the needle in golf, Chris. Uh, you know, the anticipation. I mean, I, I still think there's this anticipation and hope, uh, probably from the media side, because when Tiger plays, without question, uh, the ratings go up. But I still believe they think, you know, there's there's this, we're going to flip this switch and Tiger is going to go back to, to 2000 and, and all those years where he won multiple events. Uh, I, I don't see that. Uh, I understand in the sense of he still moves the needle, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, in watching him and the two events he has played and, and since we've had this shutdown, he, he while he doesn't look challenged physically in the sense of I think his back everything seems fine there there seems to be a lack of energy there to me um you know he would probably disagree with that but having watched him a lot uh and I don't know I mean you know we, we don't know what's inside his head uh and I think the other thing is what we do know is he has to prepare differently now he knows there's this stretch of important tournaments, the, the FedEx Cup playoffs, you've got the U.S. Open, and then, you know, the Masters in November. Uh, he is obviously focusing on that. Uh, maybe he's conserving his energy. I don't know. But I think the expectation is we want him to be the Tiger of old, and that's a pretty high expectation, uh, not necessarily just from him, but from us, from from people that follow the game. And, Mark, you mentioned the FedEx Cup. As uh, you look ahead to the playoffs that start next week, who who do you like? Who who do you think the favorites are to be holding the FedEx Cup at the end of the Tour Championship here in Atlanta? And um, who might be a player or two that might not be in the inside the top twenty right now that might might have an opportunity to get hot and uh, and actually make yeah. a run? Well, I think I think you know I mean certainly Justin Thomas has played well, and I, I mean how could you not think of Colin Morikawa? Uh, I mean, he moved up to fifth in the world rankings. Um, I'm not exactly sure where he is in the, the FedEx Cup points, but, you know, he's won twice this year. Uh, Justin, you know, two wins. Uh, I mean, I think Justin would be the favorite in my mind. Uh, Rory, while he is there, has seemed to lost something since we had the shutdown and, you know, just has not performed well. I tell you the guy that, that I like that's outside the top 20, uh, 
is Jason Day. Uh, Jason has played four events in a row, finishing inside the top 10. You know, he is, you know, split with as far as, uh, you know, his working with, uh, Colin Swatton, his longtime friend and mentor. Uh, I think that's a good thing for Jason. Um, I think Jason kind of needs to find his way. Uh, he seems healthy, uh, very talented. Uh, I, I think Jason Day could make a run at this thing. Uh, I think he's inside the top 30, but I mean, uh, I think he's a player that I would, I would pay attention to. Mark, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date? You know, you're, you're one of the all time great broadcasters <laughs> and on course analysts. There's, there's no question about that. Talk, talk about how they can stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether that's listening to you on, uh, on Sirius XM or following you on social media. Yeah, I'm not a great social media. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little too old for that now, but it's at McRoy92, M-C-R-O-Y 92 on Twitter. Uh, I don't tweet a lot, but uh, if you send me something, I'll certainly respond to it. Uh, next week, I'll be working uh, for PGA Tour Radio at the Northern Trust. Uh, the next week, following week, I'll be working for PGA Tour Live for BMW. And then the following week, I'll be back on PGA Tour Radio for the Tour Championship. Uh, after being, after not having worked a lot for four or five months, Chris, I'm happy. I worked four weeks in a row. I got three weeks in a row starting next week. So it's great to be back involved with the game. I love, uh, I love this game. As I, as I said, it was a game and I played it for a living and, uh, I've had two great jobs. I played it for a living. Now I talk about it for a living, Chris. So uh, I'm very fortunate, but always great to be on your, your show. You, you, your kind words are, are more than uh, appreciated. And, uh, uh, you know, without people like you who help spread the game, uh, uh, and many different platforms, uh, from my side, I'm appreciative of what you do. Well, I appreciate that very much, Mark. You're fantastic, my friend. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and, and be a part of the show. I hope we're privileged enough to be able to catch up with you again soon before uh, before the season ends. Well, anytime, Chris. Don't hesitate. I appreciate you, Mark. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Stay safe out there. Thank you. See you, Mark. That's a great Mark Carnival. And again, uh, MCROI92 is, uh, is his Twitter handle. And uh, I mean it sincerely, folks, and I, and I know that uh, all of you share this as well. When you listen to PGA Tour Radio and listen to Mark's call from being out there, you know, whatever group he's following, it's absolutely magical. I mean, the, the guy is, is so incredibly talented to be able to take, you know, what he is watching and then paint the picture for all of us when we're listening on the radio. It's a tremendous skill, and Mark is you know, one of the very best at doing it. Uh, he makes listening to golf on SiriusXM infinitely better. So uh, I can't thank him enough uh, for what he does for a living every day for us and painting those pictures and then obviously for his time coming back and be a part of the show. Hopefully uh, we're privileged to get him back uh, before the uh, season ends. All right, before I get to my next guest, Allison Kurt, I want to give a couple of more shout-outs to our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. 
Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Fin for a course that has them near you. I also want to give another shout-out to our friends over at the McLemore. The McLemore Mountaintop community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic McLemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts, the resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. The dramatic 18-hole course is made up of a variety of golf experiences, combining canyon holes, highland holes, cliff edge holes that are well-suited for the beginning golfer as well as the senior player. McLemore also offers a wonderful six-hole short course called the Karen. Designed by Bill Bergen, the Karen provides players with a short warm-up or cool-down before or after a round, or a relaxing way to improve one's game with family and friends. McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at themclemore.com or give them a call at 800-329-8154. Now back in making her fifth appearance with me here on Next on the T is Dr. Allison Kurt. Let me remind you about Allison's background. She played her college golf at Florida State, where she was a two-time academic All-American. She earned degrees in psychology and professional golf management. She has been named the Western Section Teacher of the Year in 2012, 15, 17, and 18. She is a PGA and LPGA Master Professional. She is one of only nine women to earn the PGA credential and one of only two women to earn dual Master Professional status. If all of that wasn't enough, she has twice been named Club Fitter of the Year. She earned her doctorate in clinical psychology with an emphasis in sports psychology. She still competes out on the LPGA Tour from time to time, particularly in the Women's PGA Championship. Last year, not only did she become the first woman from Southern California to ever qualify for the PGA Professional Championship over on the men's side, she made the cut, and her second round 71 was one of the best rounds of the day. To give you some perspective for how tough the conditions were that day, the average score in the second round of the guys who finished in the top 10 was 72.3. Allison shot 71. Earlier this year, she won the Southern California Women's Match Play Championship. And once again, it was the LPGA's Western Section Professional of the Year. And if I continued on naming all of her accolades, all I'd have time to say is hello and goodbye. That's how many great things Allison has accomplished so far in her career. And I'm very excited she is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Dr. Kurt, thanks for coming back on the show. Hi, Chris. It's great to chat with you again. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show, and I'm really excited to chat with you. So, Allison, like I mentioned, you've got more awards and recognitions than, you know, I I think any 10 people I know. When I think about (laughs) you, it seems like all the time you're coming out on top and and, and the, the, the drive for excellence that you show is is probably unparalleled. Talk about what keeps you hungry to continue to to achieve greater and greater heights. Well, thank you for that. Yes, it's been uh, truly humbling and a great honor to be recognized by both the PGA and the LPGA. 
um, for my contributions and service to the industry. So that always feels really nice to be recognized in that manner. I mean, it certainly validates all the work and um, dedication that I put into my career, my professional playing, um, in any way that I can help in government. I think that something that really keeps me motivated is the sort of desire to continue to do better, if you will. Um, so when I look at the things that I've achieved, they certainly are stepping stones for me. It's not the top of the peak by any means, but certainly just like another level for me to continue being the best that I can be. Um, so for me, when I feel like I accomplished something, I rejoice in it and honor it. And then I look for the next thing that I can continue to achieve. And that for me is really what makes life fulfilling, setting those goals and accomplishing them. And then it's certainly very validating along the way to have people celebrate and support the things that I'm doing. So you have achieved master professional status. Talk about what that means. So the first PGA master professional status, we'll start with that first, I received several years ago. And so really have to, at the time, be a member for over eight years and do a pretty in-depth project and present that to the faculty members about uh, different areas, whether it's general management, teaching and coaching, retail operations. And so teaching and coaching was definitely my my passion. So in 2011, I was really honored to successfully pass that uh, sort of mark in my career. And for the LPGA, it's, it's quite a bit different. Uh, there's a 10-year mark in terms of when you can start applying for master professional status. And the project is significantly different. It's more of a master's level thesis type work. And so I did a pretty in-depth study that was really fun for me looking at some issues that golfers have and then using some psychological treatment to help them overcome those issues. And for me professionally to have the highest designation in both organizations certainly is very, very rewarding. It feels fantastic. In, in both organizations, we'll go with the PGA first. There's um, your sort of class A membership. Then you have a specialized track, certified track, and then you can go into master professional. And for the LPGA, we have our, our class A member, um, and then we have master professional. So to reach that highest level is certainly, it feels fantastic. And it means a lot for me just to be recognized in that small group who has gone above and beyond education to further themselves in, in their field. So. Allison, when you think now, you know, what's next? Is there something else? Is there another level? Is there a tournament? Is there something you're striving for? You're thinking about it's like, boy, I really like to be able to add that. Absolutely, Chris. There's always a to-do list of goals and what are the steps for me to, to get there? Um, I currently have a, a publication that I'm working on and trying to get that published on the mental side of golf and that's certainly been a hard sector for me to break into, even with having a literary agent, you know, just to get a publishing house to pick up on on a golf psychology book is, is challenging, particularly in this time. And with so much information being online, uh, we see brick and mortar stores for books are not not quite as fruitful as they once were. Um, so that's certainly on my radar. And in a professional way, I'm continuing to find some specialties within psychology to help my students play better and to help my golf clients who come in wanting to improve their mental game. 
So furthering the education in that with some different psychological modalities is something I'm working on. And, and I've been published with my research in golf and psychology, but I'm working on trying to get published into a little bit different type of publication. And so currently um, working on some, some writing with that and having an editor look over my work. And so that's more on the, in the academia side of my golf world, if you will. But in the professional playing world, I've been to, or I will be competing in my seventh LPGA major event in October, provided that everything still goes um, as sees fit with the LPGA tour, and heading out to Aronimic in Philadelphia to play in the KPMG PGA Women's Championship. And I've yet to make the cut. And so one of my goals would be to to make it through and get four rounds in an LPGA major championship and earn a paycheck on the tour like that would be super exciting. I certainly qualify, continue to qualify for many, many more. Uh, I will say, Chris, that one of the highlights last year from a playing side was qualifying for the first inaugural PGA Women's Cup held at Barton Creek. And that team of five PGA professionals that competed against Australia and Canada, Great Britain and Ireland and Sweden, all these different PGA organizations was truly an amazing experience. And the cycle to qualify for that team is every two years. So to earn enough points and try to get on the team again for 2021 would be an amazing experience. So the list could go on and on, and and we could take up so much time of all the different things I hope to accomplish and have on my to-do list. But it's very active and certainly keeps my my fire going. And Allison, you mentioned you know when you're talking about getting published, it's a hard area to break into, and really golf was difficult for you to to break into because it's so male dominated. And we talked a little bit about this last time, but are we making any headway into making it easier for women to be a part of this game, whether it's club management and all those sorts of things? Well, I wouldn't say making it easier and, and not that women are looking for things to be easier, but maybe more inclusive. I would say yes on that statement. So I, I do feel like things are starting to chip away uh, to be more diverse and more inclusive of women, um, people of color, to be a part of the golf community. And when Susie Whaley became first female president of the PGA, listening to her inauguration speech, if you will, she mentioned how she'd love to make the PGA and the game of golf more resembling what our communities look like, which means diverse. And I think that she's done an amazing job over the past year and a half going on two years of making that happen. And just watching the PGA Championship this past weekend, looking at some of the golf commercials, especially the PGA.coach and the PGA.com commercials that were running, showed a variety of different people coming into the game of golf. Women, people of color, men, children. And I think that's really what we're looking for. We're not looking for things to be easier for from a women's perspective. We're just looking to be included and to have a playing field that is that is equitable. So there is some headway, but by far we're nowhere near the end point. Certainly making some good steps in the right direction, and I think we'll continue to make steps in the right direction. Allison, I, I want to put your uh, psychology doctorate to work uh, here for the next couple of questions. And for those of us that have problems, you know. It, whether we have it's on a certain hole, it's a it's a it's a certain golf course. When we're we say to ourselves or our playing partners, "Boy, I can never par this hole," or I always double 
this hole, or I always struggle when we play on this golf course. How can we change that mentally so that uh, we're not defeated before uh, before we ever tee it up? Well, there's a couple of things I think we can do. First of all, the self-schemas we have or the narrative that we tell ourselves is a resemblance of what our, our personal belief is. So self-schema is really our belief about ourselves. So as you're walking into a hole and that script is already starting to replay again, like, here we go again, I always double bogey this hole or I always hook it in the water, whatever the self-schema might be, you're reinforcing that belief and you're making reality a much greater chance of actually happening. And so I always encourage my students to say, where can you jump in and start changing the script? Where can the narrative be different? And can we switch those self-commentary and self-statement to something that's a bit more neutral? Not that it even has to be positive, because I'm not all about just being you know, positive in your mind just to kind of fake it, but to actually have more of a neutral statement, like what's the facts? What's the reality that's actually going to happen? I think the second part is after we change our belief and the statements that we use to reinforce the belief is we need to look at the chain of memories that we have on that whole, because that's pretty important. So if you do have a history of of always having a particular shot on a certain hole, as soon as you approach that hole, no doubt you're going to be triggered in some way of past performances. And there are some techniques that you can use to help take those pieces of your memory and process them so they don't become such a trigger. And that's actually one of my areas of specialty is taking traumatic memories, things that have been really bad on the golf course and Listening to your your previous guest talk a lot about stuff that's happened on the PGA Tour, there's certainly uh, amazing recounts of things that have happened on the PGA that we can say, yeah, it's probably going to traumatize somebody, you know, maybe even um, the putt that everyone was talking about with Ricky going up and trying to tap in the ball from like seven, eight inches and just nearly almost whiffing it, if you will, <laughs> could serve as almost a traumatic memory for short putts moving forward. Um, but when when those memories become triggered and we stand onto a hole and we start seeing the things that have happened in the past, then we certainly make that closer to a reality. And so we need to start changing the vision of what's the type of shot that you'd like to see using a more neutral um, to slightly positive statement. And then changing the picture that you see in your mind will give you a greater chance of hitting a different type of shot on that hole. Allison, uh, one of the sort of themes of tonight's show has been talking about Colin Morikawa's performance over the weekend, particularly on Sunday. And we all marvel at the, the tee shot he hit on 16 that really propelled him, you know, cemented, I, I, I would say, his win. But it takes an awful lot of nerve and confidence to pull out driver in that instance. One stroke lead, three holes to play. He said three wood the other days, but he this time he's going to go ahead and he's going to go for it. That takes an awful lot of, you know, I, I've used the term moxie tonight to to do that. Talk about how yeah, we, the rest of us, you know, instead of playing it safe, when is the right time to have that sort of confidence and then sort of go for it? Because the flip side of that, I think a lot of us would get scared to be able to say, boy, if I don't pull this off, I'm going to blow this. And it's going to become one of those traumatic memories that you just talked about. How, how do we how do we deal with that? Well, it certainly could have gone one of two ways. One is is the one that we saw, which was like the hero shot, and it turned out to be amazing. 
And the other could have gone completely wrong, hitting an errant tee shot, making a big number, and then losing a lead. I think that it's it's hard to say when is the right scenario because we all have different feels and energy and moods and attitudes from day to day and hole to hole and round to round. And if we, if we tap into that intuition or that gut feeling, how do we really explain the science behind when you have a gut feeling to say, go for it? And when do you have that feeling to say, no, let's go ahead and step back? And knowing Colin's um, swing and mental coach very well, Rick Sessinghouse, I'm sure Rick has worked with Colin on when to balance the cognitive piece, the thinking piece, and when to balance the play piece, the gut piece, where you just see the shot and you go with it. And when a player steps up to a tee, if they're super committed and they see the picture in their mind and they have that true feeling in their body that this is going to happen, it's like you go with it. But if there's a moment of doubt that starts to creep in, that may be the moment that you want to be a bit more conservative and maybe lay up safely and just sort of play from there. But then I also think if you get too defensive, which is sort of what I felt like happened in the LPGA tournament this past week with Lydia Ko being in the lead, I think by seven shots at the beginning of the day and then losing by one on the last hole, that as she started getting into those last couple of holes, it was almost like too defensive, too conservative. And that shows up in the swing as well. So I wish there was like a super easy answer to say, here's when you go for it, here's when you don't. But I do think that a part of it, um, part of the science is listening to your body and listening to um, how your thoughts have been moving that day, what your intuition tells you. And when you see the picture, if you feel like you can trust it because you're somewhat in that zone, you go for it. Allison, I want to get a couple of playing lessons before I let you go. And you've got a great video using a towel that can help us feel the weight shift during our swing. Do you mind sharing that drill? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of players that have difficulty shifting the pressure in their body appropriately to maximize what we would formally call weight shift, but we tend to call more pressure shifting in modern golf, where for a right-handed golfer, as we start to swing back, there's more pressure, let's say, loaded up in the right heel, trail heel. And then as we start to swing forward, there's a shift laterally moving into uh, the left side or the lead side. And a lot of players or a lot of amateur golfers will tend to hang back on that trail side too much or have an ineffective sequence on how they shift their pressure in a particular way. So with that um, certain drill, having a towel or just anything that you can feel underneath your left foot, whether it's just a tee putting underneath your golf shoe, gives you sort of this sensory perception of being able to push down. And when you start to rotate back and, and get to the top of your swing, there's a moment there where things start to move to the lead side. And as a player is starting to shift their pressure into the lead side, to have sort of a sensory feel like you're stepping on a towel or you're squishing out water from a water balloon or just pressing a tee into the ground can help be enough of that force that needs to be moving more of the body pressure to the left side to help things start to transition and get into impact a little better. So what I tend to have players do is take a towel and fold it up a couple of times and put it underneath the lead ball of their foot. And so from the top position, as one starts to move down and transition into the downswing, feeling like pressure initially goes into the lead ball of the foot before it shifts into the lead heel can, number one, help the club shallow more and also can start to get more pressure moving left 
so that you're not staying on the trail side all too long. So pretty simple drill, good feel, good picture, good imagery in order to help get people shifted towards their front side in the downswing. Allison, you also have a a putting drill that I've been using where you take the tube from a a roll of toilet paper and you and you press it up against uh, your wrist. And uh, it's really made a difference in my putting stroke. Can you share what that drill is like? Oh, good. I'm glad that was helpful for you. Yeah, certainly when toilet paper was um, almost like finding gold in a convenience <laughs> store, there's some fun drills on social media that people were using with toilet paper and, and rolls of toilet paper. So uh, once you finally emptied that that toilet paper roll, having the leftover uh, cardboard circle is sort of a nice piece if you become too risky in your putting stroke. And so for a right-handed player, if you just flip the edge of it on the uh, butt end of the grip and put some pressure with your left hand against the grip, if you were to make a putting stroke that is a little bit more torso and shoulder-oriented rather than forearm and wrist-oriented, you can maintain that pressure with that toilet paper roll against the lead forearm, the inner side of the forearm. And if you become too risky and start to um, sweep the golf club back and forth too much, then that toilet paper roll will start to separate from the inside forearm. I think a good picture um, actually is looking at Bryson DeChambeau's putting stroke where he has a little bit of a longer putter and it's aligned with the inside left forearm. And he maintains constant connection and pressure in his putting stroke back and through. And so this is something that can help players uh, create that feeling minus the long putter piece is just using that simple at-home um, component and adding that to the end of the putter grip and then just making their practice swings without a limp, uh, without using their wrist, if you will. Allison, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with the great things that you're doing by uh, going onto your website and then follow you on social media as well. Certainly. So heading over to... AllisonKurtzGolf.com will give you everything about um, any interest in lessons with me, whether in person or doing some Zoom or online stuff. So that has a little bit about what I'm doing lately, pricing, how to get in touch with me and where I am located, which is in Los Angeles, California. And then certainly social media is the way to keep in touch with everybody and see what everything everybody's doing. There's a lot of great golf content out there now. So please jump over to Instagram. And follow me on AllisonKurtGolf.com as I'm always posting up new content and tips. So something that may help you, just like it helped Chris with his putting and his pressure shift, you might find a golden nugget for your swing as well. Well, Allison, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. It's always a delight having you here. I hope uh, I get the privilege of catching up with you again real soon. Thank you so much and always appreciate your shout outs on Twitter and how much you support the golf industry and golf teaching professionals. So thank you for being a big cheerleader and a supporter of what we do and everything golf. It's great to know you and I always appreciate being on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate that very much, Allison. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. See you, Allison. That's Allison Kurt, C-U-R-D-T, AllisonKurtGolf.com. I'm telling you, folks, she's got so many wonderful videos, and she's got some posted on her uh, on her Facebook page as well. And uh, I'm telling you, that toilet paper roll thing has changed my swing. 
you just take the, the end of that, like she said, and you put it up against the, uh, the end of the guy, uh, the end of your putter, right. And kind of pinch it there on, on the grip when you're, when you put your, uh, I'm a right-handed player. So when you've got your, uh, your left hand there on the putter and you keep the pressure on there, I was, you know, too wristy and, uh, you know, I was, I was losing the putt, uh, short on the right and, and high on the left, very, very inconsistent because I was getting very, very wristy. And I can, and I came across that video and I started doing that. And I've got a little putting green here in my studio. So just was practicing with that. And it has made a huge difference in, uh, in my putting accuracy. And, uh, I can't thank Allison enough for that tip. And she's got many, many more. So go onto her, onto her, uh, onto her website, AllisonKurtGolf.com. Uh, follow her on Instagram and on Twitter. She puts them on there and on her Facebook page as well. She's fantastic. And like I said, if I would have gone through every one of the accolades and the achievements that Allison has had, and she's under 40 years old, so she's one of the best, you know, instructors, and you, you'll find one of the accolades, best, uh, best instructor, uh, best four, top 40, under 40. She's fantastic. And it would have just taken forever just to kind of get through that. We wouldn't have time to talk about all the things we did. So looking forward to having Allison back on the show again. Give her a follow. She's a, she's a heck of a, a heck of an instructor. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks go out again to Tom Patrick, Mark Carnival, and uh, and Allison Kurt as well. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net. You're going to be able to stay up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And speaking of which, next week, scheduled to join me here on the show are our good friend Bob Friend, you know, former uh, PGA and, uh, and senior tour player, 10-time winner on tour. John Cook will be with me. And another one of the top instructors in the game, Bob Grissett, will be with me as well. You can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great podcasting sites and apps like podcast.co. Can't thank those guys enough for, for what they've been able to do and, and help me with with the show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm, Radio.com. All those folks can't thank you enough for, uh, for you know, helping us spread the news and spread the show. Very much appreciate all of their efforts. And I appreciate you guys the very most. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.